0: Hi there, and many thanks for joining the second episode of the Disruptive Entrepreneur podcast. In this episode, I speak with Graham Parker, CEO and co-founder of Containers. Since establishment in 2014, the company has grown to become a titan within the freight industry through the development of their software platform. The company is serving four of the top 20 global shipping brands and has around 50 employees. Graeme is a co-founder of the company, and in this episode, we discuss some of the following. What Graeme learned from setting up his first business. The first three months of the company and creating a minimum viable product. Tips for starting a software company and entailing the first customers. The importance of funding and what investors want. The development of company culture. And what criteria Graham looks for when investing in Monzo and Residence. Over the coming days, I'll also be creating an article on what I learned from recording podcasts. And the tips for future hosts. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoy. Hello, so today we're here with Graham Parker for episode two of the podcast. Graham, you there?
1: Hi, Mark. How are you doing? Great to be with you. Yeah, good. Thanks, Graham. Yourself? Very good. Thank you.
0: Great stuff. So, Graham is the CEO and co-founder of a company called Containers. Graham, do you want to just like provide a little bit of insight
1: into what Containers do? Yeah, sure. So, um, Containers is an enterprise software company in the freight uh, technology space. Um, I actually come from a freight background. I- set up a freight company when i was uh, 22 um looked about 12 <laughs> um wanted to do a, a million dollars in sales in my first year i managed to do it um and then doubled it every year from a million to two to four to eight to 16 um and that was an amazing experience i got to travel the world get a deep understanding um and then and then i started containers in uh, in 2014 with an amazing co-founder a guy called charles lee He's actually uh, a Cambridge-educated computer scientist, part of the team that remapped the human genome. Um, and our thought process was, you know, um, that the kind of coming together of of deep industry experience and technology experience, you could build a, a really great uh, company um, within the emerging freight technology space. The
0: first company that you actually set up was that
1: a similar enough company or is it completely different? It was actually in. Um, it was actually in in, in freight. Uh, mark so i i am um, just to kind of take a step back again so yeah. i was always kind of entrepreneurial as a kid you know the usual kind of uh lemonade stand set on christmas trees and- yeah yeah i used to have <laughs> yeah. my, my family had a mobile home and i used to uh, it was near the seaside and i'd go down to the down to the boats coming in with a wheelbarrow and i'd get a few fish off the guys and and sell them and then i graduated to a shop when i was 10 and just always kind of entrepreneurial and I ended up dropping out of college and my, my parents almost disowned me. And <laughs> hello, always had a real interest in, in, uh, in shipping. I just thought, you know, it's kind of the coming together of the world, global commodities, currencies. Um, I knew someone who was in it and they'd start their day sending emails to Asia and finish their day on the phone to the U S and it just seemed very interesting. So dropped out of business, uh, in college, um, I went into, uh, went into a shipping business um, at 19 and just loved it, you know, and um, and then that brought me to founding my own company two and a half years later.
0: You started that first business, and then in 2014, you went to create containers with your co-founder. What, what were the, I suppose, the learnings that you took on from making that first business? Maybe some challenges
1: that you faced? I think, you know, especially for, for your listeners, Mark, I mean, I, I was always a believer in, in, in school and college that, you know, we're very lucky as a generation. Um, I was very close to my grandmother, and she talked a lot about you know, kind of Ireland, um, in the in the forties and fifties, and it was a very different world. Um, you know, ex- people's expectations were much lower. Uh, the opportunities were a fraction of what we have today, and I always felt that, you know, we have an incredible opportunity as as the, you know the current generation. Um, so I always wanted to kind of take a risk and start a business. So I learned a lot from setting up my first business. Um you know when you kind of throw yourself into the deep end um you just learn a lot the hard way and and i and i certainly did that um in my shipping business it was you know turning over um a lot of revenue dealing with companies all over the world learning expectations um and and it was it was great and then i guess starting containers in 2014 uh, it, you know uh, it was a different industry cuz you know containers is a pure software company yeah. and my last business was very much just a shipping business so Again, it was it was a huge learning curve again. And again, I think if you look back on, um, you know, doing MBAs and stuff like that is always great. But actually spending some time in an early stage business, um, people argue that you would probably get even even more experience from.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um. So when you when you started containers, I suppose what what did the first three months look like? Really, like how how did it go? How did it evolve? Major uh um, milestones that you guys would have reached or what was the objective
1: well my co-founder and I we used to uh when when we were talking about the idea of it we used to sit in uh Costa Coffee in City West for hours and hours on end uh okay. for weeks weeks and months and specking out what it could be and thinking about the challenges that were ahead and you know for us the first 3 months as a software company were about speccing out an, uh, a minimal viable product what it yeah. would look like what it would take and what kind of customers we could get it to market with, and I think Mark, what separated us then still separates us now, which is there is a lot of capital out there for young companies, um, and we were of the opinion that actually, you know, let's let's only take the capital that's absolutely necessary. A lot of early stage companies get very bogged down in fundraising, and they, um, they you know look at success as the next funding round, but actually success is um is revenue. So for us in the early days, it was about getting revenue and trying to get customers using the software, learning, spending time in their premises. Um, And that was really the the first uh, two years, uh, not just the first three months mark, to be honest. Yeah.
0: So I suppose the kind of start of it was to develop a minimum viable product. And then building on making your product, how long did it take you to acquire your
1: first customer or how did that story look? Yeah, the first customer we had, um, it took us uh, over a year to get, um, and uh, you know we were we were charging them very little because we wanted to see how they how they use the software. And I would really encourage that as well because it's amazing when you put your software into the hands of customers. You know they'll come up with different use cases. They'll see things that you don't see. You will just learn so much. And and I used to sit with the customers, and um, when they used it, and and it was a really really great learning curve you know to try and um and get an understanding of, of what they actually needed versus what we thought they need and sometimes there can be a big difference and then i suppose sitting sitting from sitting in Costa coffee
0: to go and actually getting your first customer after a year how how was the perceived challenges compared to the actual challenges that you guys faced and did, were you guys able to predict a lot or was there a lot of different outcomes that you wouldn't have expected really
1: um to be honest, Mark, it's always been and it continues to be a roller coaster. Um, you know, there can be um you know there can be high highs and low lows hour to hour and day to day, even now. I mean our first customer was a tiny freight company in the north of England. Um they worked out of um uh, basically a warehouse that was freezing in the winter time and uh, <clears throat> we would go in and we would uh, sit there um, you know, and they were they were a great customer. Um, If you fast forward one year, so I'm going from 2016 to 2017 now, um, we signed the world's biggest shipping company, Maersk. Um, Maersk moved one-fifth of of, uh, the world's containers. And when you think that 95% of the world's cargo starts its life in containers, Maersk are the biggest shipping group on the planet. They are also very, very advanced. Um, They've been sitting on the board of IBM since the 1970s. Um, and a year after sitting in a converted warehouse in the north of England we were sitting in their global headquarters signing um, a million dollar deal uh, to roll out our software uh, in, in, in uh, multiple different uh, continents so uh, you know that was a really you know for us in terms of the journey from a software it was a natural progression but actually when you think about it going from a tiny customer in the north of England to getting some more to literally winning the biggest customer in the market. Uh, it just goes to show the power of software, yeah. um, and you know having that confidence in your product um, and thinking big. You know when we pitched Merck first, uh, it it took us you know quite a bit to get uh, to get through to them, um, and then a lot a lot to get to the assigned contract. But you know it just goes to show, and um, there there's incredible opportunity out there.
0: So you obviously, you got a little small freighting company and then a year later you're signing up Maersk for a million dollar contract. What, what would be the main tips you give to people who are looking to develop their own software company and to acquire some major
1: customers like you guys did? So it's interesting, you know, <clears throat> um, first of all, I would say from a software point of view, like constantly be iterating, um, like sit in front of your customers, take time to learn, you know, where the product should be and um and getting it out there at the right time is important so if you wait too long and you're obsessed with getting it perfect uh it, it it it's more difficult if you go too early and it doesn't quite work then um that's obviously an issue as well but i would say that if you take mersk as an example um you know they would they would be actively listening to young uh, startup companies they would literally realize that you know there is software being built by startups Startups are a special breed of company. You know, yeah. they don't have any they don't have any legacy, uh, they think differently. There's a track record of startups changing the world. Um, and you know, for us Mersk, um, I wouldn't say they answered the phone the first time, but when we, you know, when we started talking to them, um I had some contacts, but it was amazing how receptive they are. And I would say it's the same in every industry. You know, if you look at a lot of big companies today. Uh, they will listen to your pitches. you know they will have a lot of very large enterprises will have you know their own startup incubators or investment programs. and you know I wouldn't be afraid if you're a young software company uh, to you know to go and pitch these companies. And um, you know even no matter how big they are, if you take our case with Maersk, um our project was one of the fastest uh, IT projects they've ever done. Um, we were from contract signing to go live was just 12 weeks. Um, the average in a enterprise is probably one year. Yeah. So you know, as a startup, sometimes you under you underestimate just how agile you can be compared to a very large corporation.
0: And at the time, was there any other freight and software companies on the market, or were you guys kind of first to this market? Uh
1: yeah, no, there was uh there was a lot of other companies. Um, we we probably had a little bit of a different um, angle on things compared to some of the others, but. You know, there's lots of billion-dollar freight tech software companies, um, but you know we just had um a little bit of a different idea. We concentrated on an underserved uh, part of the market, and we looked to really kind of execute and, and grow our revenue.
0: So then that's twenty seventeen you guys have Merc your first customer I uh, speaking to one person about this just ask I suppose trying to find out interesting questions that I could ask. They were actually looking to find out a little bit about the funding side of things. how did that look or thats that plays a big role in a lot of software companies today
1: yeah, definitely um uh, if I look at containers now we're we're over five years into the journey um and over that five years we've raised uh just under two million dollars spread over five years yeah so that is a lot of money but actually if you kind of look at it another way it's not a lot of money there's companies in freight tech that have raised a billion dollars Um, lots of them have raised a hundred million dollars uh you know there's lots that have raised between 10 and 50 Um, you know again the funding side of it um obviously it's cyclical with with the way the world is with the coronavirus right now but by and large, there is a lot of money out there for, for startups. And, you know, what I would say is that you always need to look at, you know, raising money to get your product uh, live, and but don't raise too much money too early. Um, I've seen it kill so many startups over the last five years. Companies that have great ideas, um, they're very early. They raise, let's say, a million and yeah. they're not quite ready and they haven't quite got product market fit. And they don't find this out until they burn through the million, and then the investors are saying, "Well, to get to the next project of capital, you need to be much higher in revenue." And they get stuck in kind of no man's land. Um, so it's really important to kind of think about, you know, what do you really need the money for? Um, like with us, for example, you know, we had raised, um, only about less than half a million when we when we signed Marc, and it was a million dollar contract over a year or so. So you know that was that was better than getting getting funding Revenue from customers is always better than than, than getting funding in. Um, I mean obviously it's different from industry to industry. I mean if you're in a, a, a deep tech AI play and you need significant uh, resources to build their products that are or you're in biotech or something yeah but if you're in consumer or uh, even b2b business you can get MVP and revenue um, and get closer get to product market fit with Not a huge amount of capital, yep. Um And I would always advise that's a better route than over raising too early.
0: I know you, you mentioned just kind of
1: with the, with the
0: investors. What was the, what are kind of the main the main metrics that they use to assess whether containers was a good company to invest in? Is it the revenue model or the business model or potential customer acquisitions? And um, what what would be the big thing that they would look for?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, um, at at the fundamental, um, the team is always massively important. Okay. Um, Is the core element of the team that's there now, are they capable of executing on the business plan, you know, the way you think it might look in three or five years? um, Every company in their early stages needs to hire out and scale out a team, but does the core nucleus of the founding team have that capability? Is there a glaring... um, uh, issue somewhere like is they are they lacking technical skills or business development skills and um, and then you know i think that the actual uh, product itself is very important is it uh, is it really solving a problem yeah. is it looking for a problem to solve um you know is it in a crowded market or not so in the case of what we do in freight tech it's the exact opposite it's you know if you're building instagram today with, with um With a a slight variant there's going to be 200 competitors but with us uh, it's not a crowded market yet um and then the revenue model as well you know it's um investors hate to hear that you know this is a 10 billion dollar industry and if we just get one percent you know we would be a 100 million company or whatever it's never really like that it's all about understanding the market and being realistic what what kind of revenue can we get early um what are the what are the routes to market Um is it google adwords is it is it email marketing Um what yeah. is it and then being realistic and looking at scaling it up and then once you have it scaled up your your ambition levels
0: and, and then i suppose when, when you were just uh, just before i move on from the investor side of things when you're moving towards the investor what do you think that they looked at the most out of everything that you've just listed was it your Um, personal background in freight and industry beforehand or was it the the fact that it wasn't a crowded market?
1: I think it's a mixture I mean you know investors uh, for young entrepreneurs can be uh, you know you can always be nervous when you're pitching investors but you know they're just people like you and I um, they just have a very unusual job which is to deploy capital you know when you meet an investor they have money in their bank account that they've told their investors that they will they will invest on their behalf in, in, in early stage companies. So they have money in their bank that they literally have to spend over a period of time. Um, I think it's a kind of a mixture, the way they look, um, you know, a, a lot of it is very kind of, um, you know, very much based on if you have a track record, but a lot of young successful entrepreneurs don't have that. You know, if if your listeners are, are kind of, uh, in college and stuff like that, I, I wouldn't let that uh, put you off. Um, if you're very passionate about what you want to do, that will come across in front of an investor, even if you're nervous. Um, and you know, I think having t- the biggest thing I would say is if you're sitting in front of an investor, having thought it through, uh, maybe sitting with somebody that has some experience and try to pick holes in your um, in your um, in your story to the investors. Is there something obvious like, you know, this mightn't work because a company tried it last year in the US and they didn't succeed, or. Do you know that there's 10 other competitors or um will it pass technical due diligence Um, but i think it's a mixture and i do think that there is a you know a huge amount of capital out there now um for for early stage companies
0: yeah definitely i suppose just to to move on a little bit then so you guys have been (laughs) since inception back in 2014 what do you think have been your biggest learning so far over the last five or six years? Obviously you worked in the freight and com- you owned a freighting company beforehand, but now you own most of a software company. What have been the biggest learnings that other software entrep- entrepreneurs could could learn from?
1: Yeah. So I think maybe one of the biggest ones is um, everything takes longer than you think it will. Yeah. Um. Literally without exception, that's been the case for us. I mean, um, no matter what it is, you know, if you if you think you're about to close a big deal and you think I'm gonna close it next month, it'll probably take three months. Um, if you're building a new product release and you think, oh, we can have this out in two months, it might end up taking longer. If you start the fundraising round and you think I can have this uh, closed and in the bank by three months from now, it, it might end up taking six months. So everything takes longer than you think, <laughs> by and large. Um, you might be pleasantly surprised here and there, but that's um, that's a big part of it. Um, but on the other side of it, you know, if you're in software, um, it really is you know a, an incredible time to be in software. Um, I mean, we have customers in you know Chile, um, New Zealand, uh, you know every part of the world. Um, and when you're a software company, uh, you're a global company immediately. Uh, you could be sitting down for coffee with a prospective customer in Dublin at three o'clock and at five o'clock you could be on the phone doing a zoom video link with a, another potential customer in Boston um, and I think kind of understanding that from the get-go is really important and um, I think sometimes Irish entrepreneurs can think it's good at this st- in the early days to be very focused on a market segment like Ireland or Dublin yeah. but I think it's, you know it's also important to say you know if I'm building software and my customers are any company in the world within that segment. Um, And to think about it at the right time, that actually the US market is massive, the UK market is massive, um, and kind of understanding that is is a key takeaway for me.
0: And uh, I suppose to touch a a little bit more on yourself, your personality, the transition from working with a co-founder to obviously now running a multinational company, how many people work at containers at the moment? uh fifty people. Fifty people. How did you find that transition from just I suppose sitting in Costa one day and then maybe two years later having an office with ten or fifteen or twenty people?
1: Yeah, so I think I think there's two things there, Mark. First of all, you know, your relationship with your co founders is absolutely pivotal. Um you've got to from the get go be super honest. Um everyone has bad days, um, but you're gonna spend more time with these people than you probably will your family or partners. Um, so you've got to kind of treat it like that um, you know it's 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 almost like another marriage uh, for yeah the way i look at it I, i'm married and i feel uh, that's very important um and then you know in terms of building out the team um again from the get-go i think your culture is very important um how you want to build up the company um to be able to build a great culture and to have a very open way like for example today in containers um, uh, in Dublin and and in Newcastle, we have open plan offices, so everybody just sits next to each other. And everybody just, you know, if somebody has something to say, they say it. If they want to walk over to me or anybody else and and, and make a comment or uh, talk about a future enhancement, um, that's that's really important. So, trying to build a great culture um, right from the get go, even if you feel like that's too early to think about that, it's never too early to think about culture. Setting the tone for that from the first employee is uh, massively important.
0: You try to build this culture. What would be kind of the main challenge that you face in building a team? So negotiations or managing conflict or.
1: Yeah, I think one of the things is you know if you come to a stage in your business where you're you're hiring people quickly or, or very fast, um, it's possible that you know you 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 can make some mistakes, um, so. You know, um, if you can um, hire slow and, and kind of fire fast, it always makes sense. Yeah. Um, but, you know, because sometimes, particularly in sales roles, uh, people's jobs in sales are to sell themselves. So they'll typically do a good job selling themselves in an interview. But, you know, maybe in in the day to day, it might not quite be the same. And uh, anybody that affects your culture um, ne- very negatively, um uh, you know, we we talk about having the no a hole rule in our in our company. So it doesn't matter how talented you are, if you're not a decent human being, then you know you don't kind of fit in uh, into into our business. So I think you know having that type of um, of that culture apparent and having that open door policy that any time any during the day people can come over to you and talk to you and ask you questions. And you know, for example, we do an all hands monthly at the end of every month. Um, so we all we all jump on a, a a Zoom video call because we're in we're dispersed between Dublin, Newcastle, and New York. Uh, you know, I talk about exactly where the business is, uh, new customers, pipeline announcements. Uh, open the floor to everybody. Um, it's very important that everybody feels part of the journey right throughout, um, and and things like that really help. Yeah,
0: definitely. We've only two or three minutes left. I wanted to touch on this area because I felt like it was important just looking at your LinkedIn profile. You were an early investor back in Monzo Bank and Revolut back in 2017. Would that be correct? Yes. Oh, perfect. You made the transition from looking for investment and then you were investing in other companies. What were the key things that you looked for in the Revolut model and the Monzo model that you thought was going to appeal to customers and gather traction?
1: Um, I saw a similarity with us, and when I say us, I'll clarify that really clearly and quickly. Um, they were disrupting um a very old industry um with very modern, easy to use software, um that looked great, and we were we were attempting to put that same software in the hands of Ray companies. Um, and when I, you know, uh, when I saw the products in the early days, I thought, you know, this is really going to appeal to the consumer. There's so many advantages and um, it just made so much sense um, and yeah. so when they when they did their kind of public fundraising rounds um back in 2016 and 2017 i was i was lucky enough to, to to get in with both of them Um so that's 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 where that came from i just wish i had more to invest in them at the time
0: <laughs> yeah it's just about to say, it's, it's giving good
1: returns and <laughs> um,
0: the final question i just wanted to ask it's not so much more about businesses but Good resources, it's something that i just like to find out about that you found helpful for your learnings, books or podcasts or um, conferences that you attend. Is there anything that you might go back to every now and again just to, I suppose, refocus yourself?
1: Yeah, definitely. So um, <clears throat> I think you have to be very careful with conferences. Uh, There's some conferences that are out there that are good, but I think it depends on what type of industry you're in uh, to try and go to the industry-specific ones as much as you can. Okay. Um, But I think, you know, for me, reading regularly is very important. And the way I personally hack that is um, I've looked at all the people that I look up to, and I've looked at the people that are key in my industry, and I follow them on Twitter. Um, And when you create your Twitter to a stage where you follow great uh, software entrepreneurs, uh, the investor community, uh, and the wider software world, you just pick up so much information. So when I log into my Twitter It's a ton of people doing tweet storms, uh, people recommending books, highlighting podcasts, giving you their thought on the world. Um, So I probably pick up most of my, you know, kind of podcast leads and what to read and what's really happening in the world from Twitter. Um, And and that's kind of the way I've I've curated my kind of reads and social list from there.
0: Yeah, that that that's a great tip. And I've started using Twitter myself a lot more last year, just follow people in different industries and pick up learnings that they've had because they, they don't mind tweeting it out. And even if there's a good podcast or book that they've listened to or read, they do tend to put it out on Twitter, which is always useful.
1: Yeah, uh, definitely. And and I think you can pick up very quickly as well. You know, if you're in, you know, for us as an example in, in freight software, you follow the right people, you know exactly what's happening in the world. You get the smartest people tweeting their thoughts um you know i think it's a it's a it's a really powerful tool i mean a lot of a lot of my friends use twitter in a, in a pure social sense i literally yeah. don't i don't follow rt news or anything like that i just follow if i want to look at that i'll just go to the web page i just use my twitter as a pure learning uh, so when i log in i'm literally following the people that i think you know i can learn from and the ones that have a, a track record of putting out tweet storms the ones that are tweeting the latest of what's happening they're talking about recommendation and giving advice and for me i picked up you know literally every book i've read and podcast i subscribe to has come from from those uh, curated twitter lists over the last two years
0: yeah fantastic tip something something that i'll have to start picking up on myself and stop following the lad <laughs> boy <remember and laughs> silly pages like that <laughs> Um, that's a great we'll conclude there for today I want to say thanks very much again for jumping on it's it's, it's been great to listen to some of your learnings I think they provided really good insight to uh, the people that listened to this episode so I do really appreciate it a lot
1: no problem no problem great talking to you and good luck with everything else and uh, thanks again for having me
0: perfect thanks very much Graham.
1: thanks Mark bye bye